You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Good morning, Real Life family. How are you? So excited this morning. We're starting a new series um, on vision. And we just finished up our Sermon on the Mount series, which was a lot of fun. But um, it was 11 weeks, and I'm tired of talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Let's talk about, let's talk about something important. <laughs> Who are we? What are we doing here? Um, so that's what we want to spend the next four weeks talking about. And uh, we have said it a lot of different ways over the years. Um, we've used the phrase, restoring what sin broke. Um, we've used the phrase, moving brokenness towards wholeness, taking broken people and helping them become whole. Um, that's our call. Like, that's our job as, as followers of Jesus. And so um, we've said it a lot of different ways. Here's the bottom line. No matter how you slice it, our call as followers of Jesus is to make disciples. We are called as followers of Jesus. It is not the church's job to make disciples. It's the Christian's job to make disciples. It's the church's job to help Christians make disciples. Okay? But it's your job. And I know that for some of us, we're like, I just, I'm not mature enough. I don't know how to make a disciple. I, I, don't, I don't know how to make everybody finish. Listen, you don't have to take them the whole way, but you can take them as far as you've gone. And as you keep growing, you can then, like, it's kind of incentive to not let your spiritual life stagnate. I love that. Because if you do, your disciples outgrow you. So it's this invitation to, to making disciples. I just want to read it just so we're all sure. Matthew 28, here's what it says. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Always ask, what's it there for? Always. Because Jesus has all the power and authority in the whole earth and in the heavens. That's a lot of authority. Because it all belongs to Jesus, go and make disciples of all the nations. And then he tells us how. Two ways. Two things to do. Number one, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And number two, teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I'll be with you always, even to the very end of the age. And this is important because it's not so much about um, teaching them only. Making a disciple isn't about the transfer of information. It's about teaching them not only what to think, but what to do with what they think. Like that's, that's making a disciple. It's the teaching to obey piece that matters, and we often miss it. Now, I used to, um, in our one-on-one class, and I've been teaching some version of this class for 25 years, I used to ask this question every time. On a scale of one to 10, how important is discipleship? And I've never had anybody say anything other than a 10. Like on a scale of one to 10, discipleship is really important. It's a 10. Of course it's a 10. It's their central call as followers of Jesus. Discipleship is really, really critical. So then I always ask this follow-up question, and this is where we get a kind of a sticky wicket. What is a disciple? So we're like, is discipleship important? Oh my goodness, yeah. What is it? Ah, well, 
you know. And, and, and so then we kind of take a little piece of this and a little piece of that and we kind of stick it together like we're making some sort of a really ugly clay pot that we keep messing up. Like, we don't really know what we're making. And the question is, if you don't know what you're making, how do you know that you made it? Uh, so here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you Real Life on the Palooza's definition of a disciple. This is our church's definition of what a disciple is. Okay? It's found in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. And here's what it says. It says, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now, this is Jesus' invitation to his disciples. And as my good buddy Keith Strasberger says, in the invitation is the description. A disciple is somebody who does three things. Number one, they are committed to following Christ. Number two, they're committed to being changed by Christ. And number three, they're part of the mission of Christ. You need all three of those things. Like, we're, we're committed to following Christ. Yes, absolutely, of course. Number two, we're committed to being changed by Christ, which means that I shouldn't be spiritually what I was 10 years ago. Like, I should grow and change and be different and better. But what that also means is that 10 years from now, I'm probably not going to be the same as I am today. Like, it's okay to not have everything figured out today because we're all being changed by Christ day by day by day. So you can't wait until you have it all solved to get in the disciple-making business because you will never get there. A disciple is somebody who's foundationally continuing the process of being changed by Christ. And they're part of Jesus's mission to actually make disciples. This is what a disciple is. We're all called to it and we're all called to be in the disciple making business. Now the question, next question then would be how? How are we going to do it? Now, I have great news for you. You have, you know our process for making a disciple. And I, if you're sitting there going, I don't have a clue what your disciple making process is. Yes, you do. Let me show you a picture. Seen that anywhere? Anywhere? Has it shows up anywhere? Like, Share, Connect, Minister, and Disciple is our process for disciple making. And that's why it took up an entire wall right? That is our disciple-making process. And why is that our disciple-making process? Because this is the process that we see modeled in the life of Jesus. This is the process that we see Jesus using for his own disciples. And consequently, we also see his disciples using it as the church begins. Now, I will not go so far as to say this is Jesus's method for making disciples. That would be completely arrogant. What this is, is a way to understand Jesus being intentional with his guys and his gals. And you and I can use the same process to be intentional with the people that we're discipling. Okay? So today, we're going to focus in on the first of these four things. Let's look at the next picture. Um, we exist to share Christ with those who are far from him. We exist to share Christ with those who are far from him. Now, let me qualify this because for my skeptics in the room, you're going to be thinking, wait a minute, we're never far from God. Okay? God is fully present everywhere all the time, right? So is God ever very far from us? Say no. Thanks. Thanks. Welcome. Welcome. 
Is God ever very far from us? No, he isn't. Here's the deal, though. There's a lots of times that you and I feel far from him. That's not true, but it's how we feel. And so we exist to share Christ with people who are far from him. That's what we're here for. And I want to show you kind of a metaphor that I've used over the years. It helps me make sense of it. Um, what are we doing? What does that mean? What does that look like? Okay. And it's a section out of John chapter 11, out of the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. So I want to I read this to you, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. It says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. It's John eleven thirty-five. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. And I love this verse for two reasons. Number one, I love how it reveals the humanity of Jesus. Just the... Uh, the hurt and the connectedness and the compassion that he has in this really tender moment. The other thing I love about this is that it's really easy to memorize. And so you, you memorized a verse of the Bible today. Good job. Good job. You did that. You got one more verse of God's inspired text in your heart today that will help you make decisions later in life. Good job for you. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he's been there four days. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out and his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Now, these are, these are grave clothes. This is how they bury people in the first century. When they, when they bury them, they put spices and they wrap them with strips of linen, cloth, different, different ways. If you guys have ever heard of the Shroud of Turin, this is a shroud that they believe was the burial shroud of Jesus. Other than being completely culturally inaccurate, it's a great idea. Um, they never would have buried him in a cloth like that, not in the first century, but that's another sermon for another day. Um, but this is how they, they bury them, wrap them up in their grave clothes, okay? And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, question, who has the power to raise Jesus or raise people from the dead? Jesus, only God can do that, right? Like only God can make dead people live. That is not your job. Good news for you. You don't have to make dead people live. But 
Who does Jesus invite to help this newly alive man take his grave clothes off? Do we need any kind of supernatural intervention on that? Or were they, like, this was just the people that were standing around, and that matters because for you and me, that's what we do. Only God can make a dead man live. But he calls us to help those people who are newly alive in Christ take off their grave clothes. Now, that also means that we have to help them put on their wedding clothes. And that's another sermon in this series. We'll get there. But what we want to focus on today is that we're called to help people take their grave clothes off, to help them understand that they're not dead anymore. And what, if you're, if you're smart and you've been hanging around real life for a little while, what you're immediately going to be thinking is, wait a minute. You said God created a good world full of good things and full of potential, and he created me to have mailed real good. So what's this grave clothes nonsense? Is this a bait and switch? What is this? Well, let me help you understand that, okay? Romans chapter 7, the great tongue twister of the scripture, you've probably either heard this or read it before. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good as it is, and you want to underline this, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my flesh, and I hate that they translated it sinful nature, because it's the Greek word sarx, it's flesh. What we're talking about here isn't a sinful nature. What we're talking about here is the, the desire to satisfy temporal needs. So, it, like, it could be sinful nature, but it's way bigger than that. It's, it's any time that I focus on my own selfish things, Anytime that I focus on temporary decisions, it's the flesh. Anytime that I satisfy this physical piece of me, there's nothing good in that because I'm 100% selfish 100% of the time on those decisions. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, should probably underline this because now he said it twice. But it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Now, here's the thing. Does he say, I want to do good, but I'm evil? No, what he says is, I want to do good, but evil is right there with me. He makes a distinction. And this is the third time he's made the distinction. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, I'm a slave to the law of sin. Now, Let's pull this apart for a little bit. What Paul's saying here is that there's two versions of you that present to the world. There's this, the flesh bag, the carrying case that you've been given, and then there's the truth of you. This is not me. 
Thank you, Jesus. This is not the truth of me. This is my carrying case. This is a flesh bag. And when I get to heaven, the Bible says I'm gonna get a new carrying case. Can we get excited about that? Uh, You're gonna have a new carrying case. It's gonna be awesome. A glorified body, right? I don't know what that's gonna look like, but I have some opinions. If the Lord gave me a shopping list, I'd pick some other things. Smaller head. I would pick a smaller head. He's like, you know what you need in your carrying case? And a gargantuan melon. That's what you need. And a 50-pound neck. That's what you need. This is not me. But there is a me that this tries to tell me that I am. There's a me that sin says I am. And then there's a me that God says I am. Now, here's the thing. Anytime that God says something about you and something else contradicts it, who's right and who's wrong? God is always right. It's like he knows everything. You should totally follow him. God talks about the truth of me. And so what God sees in me is the truth of who he made me to be. But then there's this thing that sin says I am. And my problem is I believe that lie too many times. And any time that I act out of the lie of what sin says that I am, I put on my grave clothes. Does that make sense? So our job as a community of followers of Jesus is to help people stop putting new grave clothes on and help them stop believing the lies that they're already wearing. That's what it means for us to help people take their grave clothes off. Like we got to help people understand that the lies, you, you will never be able to go to sin and get what only God can give you. You'll never be able to find it there. Now, as far as this sharing Christ piece goes, there's a couple of ways to do it. And, and I'm, I'm going to be up front with you, the first way to do it is what I call hardcore evangelism. There are hardwired evangelists. There are people that are wired by God to be evangelists. And I, and I will be, I'll, I'll even take that a step further and say, I think there's a lot of people who are wired by God to be evangelists that don't know that they're wired by God to be evangelists because they're scared to share their faith. But here's what I want you to know. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. It says, so Christ gave gave himself, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Now, so God, Christ himself gave the church these things, right? Is any one of them bad? No, they're all awesome. Are they, is any one of them complete? No, they need one another. They need one another. And the reason they need one another is that because together they equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So this is our objective, is that these hardwired evangelists absolutely serve a role in the kingdom. They absolutely serve a role in the kingdom. They're important. And these are people that, like it's crazy how God uses them. Let me explain to you what, what I'm talking about. Psalm 139, it says that you were knit together in your mother's womb by God. God knit you together. Like before you were born, God 
made you into a gift that he gave the world when you were born. Proverbs 16.9 says that it's the Lord who marks our steps. And if God is as smart as I think he is, those two things are connected. So God made you a thing, and then he created a path for you to walk that absolutely maximizes the potential of what he made you. Now think about it. If God makes hardwired evangelists, what kind of people keep showing up on that person's path? People who are ready to accept Christ, right? God's working on people around us all the time. Like he's always working around on people around us. When, when an evangelist walks down the street, it's weird how God marks their steps so that they keep coming into contact with people who, uh, I remember a guy um, by the name of Bob Moorhead. He was a pastor at Overlake Christian Church in Seattle in the late 80s and early 90s. Church of about 5,000 people before mega churches were a thing. That guy was a hardwired evangelist. He would go to the Taco Bell drive-thru. This is true story. And before he ordered his food, they would say, hi, welcome to Taco Bell. Can I take your order? He would say, hey, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? And people would be like, I, I don't know. I need to talk to you about that. <laughs> Seriously, like that happened. Like regularly that happened for him. Why? Because that's who he is. That's who he is. My, my buddy Jim up in Post Falls, gift, most gifted evangelist. Like the stories that I, I could tell you about interactions that we would have with people. Well, he would have and I would watch because I was like 100% freaked out by this interchange and all of a sudden people are praying and accepting Jesus and they're crying. He had this thing, I, he, I call it the move. And he, he would do this. He would look at you in the eye and he would put his hand on your shoulder. Be like, how, how are you doing? And you just start to cry. Like there's no, it just happened. There was nothing that you could do about it. And, and here's the thing. I really wanted to be like Jim because I, I really admire uh, his capacity for evangelism. Like he will stand on a street corner. Three people come to Christ. It's the weirdest. It, so I, I tried to learn the move. How you doing? This is what people do when I do it. <sighs> so, creeper. Like, don't touch me. This just got awkward for no reason at all. Why you got to do that? There are people who are wired like that, and everywhere they go, God is constantly putting people in their life that are ready to make a decision. Why? Because that's what he made them for, and they're never more fulfilled than when they're doing it. Now, here's the problem. I was told in Bible college, I went to Bible college, I was told in Bible college, if you don't share your faith, if, and, and like the, the salvation pitch, if you don't do that, then one of two things is true. Either you don't really believe in Jesus or you don't love that person. I'm like, those are my only two options? So we would do crazy things. Like we would go down downtown Boise and we would stand in front of the bars on both sides of the sidewalk and we would sing worship songs and we would try to talk people into following Jesus and they would have to run the gauntlet between us. Like... We, but we were, 
we love Jesus and we love people and we're proving it, right? Uh, guess how many people I brought to the Lord. I, now take, I have five years of this because I squeezed four years of Bible college into five. Um, really? Pressured myself to excel. <laughs> five years of this, guess how many people I brought to the Lord? Exactly none. In fact, I'm not even sure I brought myself to the Lord. I like, and here's, here's why. Because that's, that's not me. And for some of, for, like, I don't know what the percentage is of gifted evangelists as opposed to the, I, I don't know what it is. But what I can tell you is some people are hardwired evangelists and then there's the rest of us. And we have to figure out how to share Christ with those who are far from him for us. Because we're not exempt from sharing Christ. We just have to figure it out. I want to show you how. 1 Peter 2.12, it says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. This is what Jesus was screaming all the way through the Sermon on the Mount, right? Your orthopraxy, your right practice matters. And it matters before your doctrine is right. Living right because you have a God that is revealing himself to you is more important than having God figured out. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. This is evangelism for the rest of us. It looks like kindness and compassion and grace and forgiveness and gentleness and peace. It, looks, it shows up in how we treat the people at the grocery store or our coworkers or our nasty boss or our home, how we treat our spouses and our children. How do we treat our friends? What are we asking of them and what are we offering to them? These are things that define our evangelism. Now, that doesn't mean that we just have to live good lives. Like, hey, just be a really good person. No, we'd be a really good person because that's what our God's like. And that motivational shift changes everything. With that in mind, we're going to move towards the Lord's table. Um, every week we take communion and it, we have an open table here, which means that anybody who wants to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is invited to partake in communion with us. But we want you to hold those elements till the end and we'll take them all together. So while they're passing that out, I want to work through a few implications. And these are not exhaustive. This is not the only way to have this sermon affect you. If the Holy Spirit's doing something else in your heart right now, that is okay. Um, these are just a few things that I thought would be significant for us to kind of anchor to on this message. Implication number one, as followers of Jesus... We have to see our primary role as making disciples of the people around us. And again, that doesn't mean that you have to take them all the way to fully mature. But you can take them as far as you are. Implication number two. That begins with a commitment to dealing with our own grave clothes and being willing to stay connected to others as they deal with theirs. Here's a cool thing. Um, I love discipleship as a call because the only way to make disciples is in the context of relationship. Like if you're going to be serious about making disciples, the only way that you can do that is in the context of relationship. You can't just shout at people from a street corner and call it discipleship. It doesn't work. 
The trick is relationship really, really, really forces all of my junk to the surface, right? It forces all of my woundedness, all of my stick points, all of my bad stuff, it forces that to the surface. And so what we want to do is kind of evangelize and disciple, but not really connect to anybody. And that's not possible. That's not possible. And furthermore, it's about the worst thing that you can do to that person to say to them, hey, you need to say yes to Jesus. You need to give your life to him. And then I'm just going to mosey out of your life and move on. And here's why. Because the third implication is this. We cannot start a spiritual battle in someone's life and then give them no tools to fight that battle. That would be the worst thing that you could do for them. When we say yes to Jesus, we awaken to the spiritual battle that's going on around us. And if we don't have someone help us with the right tools to know how to fight the battle well, and you can say, well, I gave them the Bible, that's a sword. Listen, I don't care how awesome your sword is, if you don't know how to use it, what difference does it make? You're just swinging around, get tired, lay down and die. Like, that's not helpful. It's not helpful. We can't start a spiritual battle in someone's life and then give them no tools to fight that battle. That would be terrible. We've got to be willing to see it through relationally. And in order to do that, we've got to be willing to deal with our own junk as well. Last implication. For some people, sharing Christ with others is a supernatural gift. For others, sharing Christ shows up in how we live our lives in front of the people around us. And here's what I want to say. People are watching even when you don't know they're watching. Because you bear the name Christian, people are watching even when you don't know they're watching. Like, hear me. If you, if you pray at the restaurant before your meal, you should tip 30%. You know why? Because Christians have a reputation of being stingy tippers. That's not who Jesus is. We should be generous with that stuff. So the answer is don't pray in front of your, for, for your meal, right? <laughs> problem is that doesn't solve your stinginess problem. The, the antidote to stingy is generosity, right? You should do that. Like people are watching when you don't know they're watching. I, the other day, I, somebody came up to me. Um, so I don't even know, remember where my wife and I were but we were talking, and um, like four or five days later, somebody came up to me and said, hey, I uh, wanted you to know the other day you were having this conversation with your wife, and I watched you talk with her, and I just want you to know I really appreciate the way that you talk to her. Uh, I don't, <laughs> you phew. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want that kind of pressure, right? Like, but here's the thing. You're, you're, you're a bearer of the name of Jesus. Like people are watching you to figure out what that means. And we've got to be willing. And again, we all have moments of utter catastrophe. But we've got to be willing to take note on being aware of how we're presenting ourselves. Because in so doing, we share Christ with people who are, not, who are far away from him. I love the, the, 
the premise of communion, this laying down of your life for the well-being of someone else, for the well-being of all of humanity, this dying to the flesh so that the spiritual things, the things that actually make the, the world function properly can, can take ground. Jesus modeled it for us, so should we be a part of the same thing. This reminds us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. Then he took a cup and he says, drink from it, all of you. This, this is the blood of the covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. Yeah, let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for this amazing privilege and responsibility to partner with you in uh, restoring the hearts of people who believe that they're far from you. Lord, give us the courage to look at our own selves in the mirror and deal with the stuff that would prevent us from being fully invested in that. And Lord, also give us the courage to stand in front of the world and say it's worth it to go on this journey and to walk with them as they figure it out. Lord, make us a people of grace and a people of truth. In your name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.